to Medicine in the Kitchen, where we empower you with simple solutions to everyday health concerns. Welcome back to Medicine in the Kitchen, Episode 3. Once again, I'm Felicia. And I'm Yasul, your guides to empower health. Today, we're going to talk about some strategies to support speedy recovery from a cold or a flu, starting with something we all tend to neglect, sleep. Felicia, what can you tell us a little bit about sleep and the importance of it? Yeah, yeah. So um, getting a proper sleep is so important. So sleep is plays a huge role in immunity. And as anyone who gets sick knows, like once you get sick, you kind of get that um, sluggish feeling, feeling tired. And that's just kind of your body's way of saying, okay, you need to rest so that we can recover from this. Um, so while you're sleeping, you're your immune system is actually active um, and it's kind of fighting off whatever whatever's kind of invaded. And there are changes in your hormones as you're sleeping that kind of help with this immune response. Um, there's a drop in cortisol, which we kind of talked about last time, mm-hmm. uh, which helps the immune system act better because as we talked about last time, cortisol kind of suppresses the immune system. Um, And then there's also an increase in growth hormone, which helps with growth and repair and just kind of restoring the cells and tissues that might be affected by whatever's invading. Mm -hmm. And then Giselle, I think you had something to say about um, the ideal hours that you should kind of be sleeping. Yeah, like my sister and I always argue about it because she's like, no, you don't need the full like eight or something hours. You can, you know, get a six or something like that because apparently it does differ between the age groups. So I will put the link on the site. It's from Sleep Foundation and they did a research about it. And so pretty much if you're like um, under the age of 18, so 17 and younger, you need 10 plus hours of sleep. If you're like 18 to 64, the minimum is seven and the max of nine and 65 plus, it's like seven or eight hours as well. And I don't know about anybody else, but I totally remember my grandparents sleeping more than that. And my one uncle used to joke around that they're just, you know, making up for like all the hours of sleep they lacked when they were younger. (laughs) So I don't know how true that is for, you know, the older adults. Um, But... Eight hours is usually the recommended, and it seems to be still true. Yeah, and I think that that pretty much is across the board. And you do get you do get individual differences, of course. Like some people maybe don't need the full eight hours, Mm -hmm. but I I feel like as long as you're getting kind of around there and waking up feeling refreshed in the morning, and you have energy throughout the day, then you're probably getting enough. And sometimes I find that, like, if I sleep a little bit extra, I feel sluggish throughout the day. But I don't know if it's because my body's recovering from the lack of sleep I've had for the last, I don't know, little while. And it's like, oh, my God, I needed those hours. And I could have gone a little longer maybe to actually fully feel refreshed. Or if my body's like, you overdid it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's always hard to tell, right? Because there are so many factors involved in energy that it's hard to just kind of use your energy and how tired you feel as a gauge for if you got enough sleep or not 
And it's not just like how many hours is the quality of sleep. Because I know some people wake up around three in the morning or they're twisting and turning or they have their eyes shut. But they're like, I am totally awake, but my eyes are just glued shut, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's there's so many factors involved in sleep. Actually, I feel like we discussed kind of doing a whole episode on sleep just because there's so much. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask our listeners to let us know what they think is the eight hours like the right amount that they feel they need or are they also like one of those people that get up at three five in the morning like what what do they want to hear from us when we talk about sleep and how do they do they get the quality of sleep that they were they want yeah yeah because it's such a it's such an issue that I hear a lot about so yeah we'd be so interested in hearing what you guys think and what your sleep's like and yeah we can talk about like REM Vivid dreams. Yeah. Dreams is a whole nother interesting topic all on its own. Tell me about it. I know some people dream in color and some people don't. Some people remember their dreams. Some people don't. It's it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get too far topic of cold and flu, um, we wanted to also talk a bit about nutrition when it comes to um, feeling sick. And... I know I had mentioned to you, and I don't think you had heard it before, but like the whole feed a cold, starve a fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that I kind of heard going going through school was uh, I was interested in like knowing kind of where that came from and if there was any merit to that. Mm-hmm. So basically the premise behind it or like what that means is when you have a cold, you should eat more and get more nutrition. Whereas when you have a fever, you should fast and not eat as much, Hmm. Um, which is interesting. Um, And when I looked into it, there actually has been some study into that. So Mm -hmm. in 2016, there was a study in rats where they found rats with bacterial infection so bacterial infections tend to be the ones that are associated with fevers, but you do get fevers with viral infections as well. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to, to differentiate just based on that. But what they found in this study were that rats with bacterial infection were actually less likely to survive when they were fed. Um, mm. Rats that didn't eat while they had the bacterial infection or ate less, like we're in more of a fasted state. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they found that rats with uh, viral infection, which are typically the ones that are associated with colds. But again, like we've, like we've seen with the virus going around right now, um, you can have fevers with viruses as well. Mm-hmm. But typically they're more associated with colds. And they found that those rats were less likely to survive when they fasted. So they were more likely to survive when they ate, um, which is interesting because it kind of, it shows that there, there might actually be some merit to that statement where like different kinds of infections respond to different sources of nutrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there's, 
I, to my knowledge, there haven't really been any human studies into that yet. Mm. Uh, but usually with like traditional sayings that have stuck around a while, I'm always like, there, there's probably some truth to that. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like just kind of the overall take home message from that is just kind of listen to your body. If, if you feel like your appetite's low when you're sick and, and you don't want to eat a lot, stick to like clear liquids and fluids. Um, whereas if you feel hungry while you're sick, eat nutritious food. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think you have a lot more of what nutritious food to eat looks like when you're sick. Well, um, just on the point about like beating a cold and starving fever, and our household, at least, whenever we get sick, the first thing that goes is our appetite. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, regardless of whether it's being a cold, a fever, whatever it is, usually, like, we we don't feel hungry. And we joke around that the person's feeling better once they start, like, getting appetite. So mm -hmm. maybe there's more of a difference when it comes to human versus a rat. Absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, like, at least in my household, that's how it works. So, like, we know right away somebody's not feeling good when they start losing their appetite and we know they're going to get better once they start eating again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting, like, the different, the different things people notice. And I think um, even though the, the research may not fully be there yet, I mm -hmm. think our bodies are, are really smart and there's a reason why they tell us to do certain things. So, like... Mm -hmm. If there's no, if you lose your appetite, that that's your body telling you something. Mm -hmm. And it's really just like listening to the signs our bodies are telling us, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, back on the whole thing, even though like in my household, we sometimes do not feel hungry. We still want, you know, the person to eat something to maintain their electrolytes, the fluids in their system, regardless of how they're feeling. So what we try to do is like nutrient-rich foods or broths, usually because mm -hmm. we do lose our appetite. It tends to be more of a broth or a soup um, or a congee-like thing. So for those who don't know what congee is, it is like a rice porridge, not like the like the pudding style, but it's a rice porridge. It's really liquidy and uh, rice, so it's more like ten cups of water for one cup of rice, and you can just make it and it's simple plain on its own or you can add a couple things to boost um the nutrients in the, in the congee in the soup in the chicken noodle soup that everybody always has when they're sick like you can add a little something to give it that a little extra so we usually have like a bone broth or chicken noodle as the base and you can add like different things to it obviously to nobody's surprise we add ginger because as I mentioned mm -hmm. last time, ginger is magical. Mm -hmm. I also like to add either kombu or wakame. So they're both seaweeds that add flavor to the stock of the, of the soup or the congee. And it also gives you calcium, sodium, and iron. They have a little bit of protein more than other seaweeds. And kombu has vitamin A and vitamin B, while wakame has vitamin C. So they still give you a rich amount of nutrients, even if you're making it vegan so that it doesn't contain bone broth or like the chicken noodle it's still there and it's really rich right mm -hmm. so it helps you and what I found recently is that sometimes when I get sick 
I'm like tired of the chicken noodle. So I kind of like more of the ramenish, not the instant ones you buy at stores. Mind you, I am guilty of loving the Korean mm-hmm. spicy ramen mm-hmm. from stores, but like making your own. And it's still a rich a broth with all these like garlic, onion, a kombu, ginger. So it still has all those antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal stuff. It's just like really rich and it helps you boost your immunity and it help you feel better. And on the topic of the chicken noodle, I know that at least my brother, I don't know if it's a placebo effect or not, but he prefers the packaged chicken noodle soup, which I can't stand. But he oh, loves it. Mm-hmm. That, like, that's his like to go to for like feeling better versus me. Like I make my own chicken noodle from scratch and that's what makes me feel better. But what I find mm-hmm. it funny is that he drenches it in lime and like Valentina sauce. So it's like a chili sauce. Okay. And he's like, boom, I feel better. And I was like, is it placebo or is it not? Right. So I was, I mean, to nobody's surprise, Mexicans, we love to eat everything with like lime and chili, but like that's like our norm. And I was looking into it and chili peppers tend to have higher amounts of vitamin C than citruses. Mm-hmm. So he is having the vitamin C from the lime, plus he's adding the vitamin C from a chili. So maybe it's not so much a placebo effect. Maybe like him drenching it on all that is giving him the vitamin C that will boost his immunity to make him feel better. Yeah, totally. And I I feel like there's definitely some some nutrient components in there that are making him feel better. But mm-hmm. also the placebo component is just as important because our mind plays such a big role in healing. Right? So if he's like, this is what's going to make me feel better, and he like really believes that, then that that probably in itself plays an important role in him getting better. I think so too. It's a mix of like the high vitamin C that really activates the uh, neutrophils in the body mm-hmm. and then the placebo effect. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And your yeah. brother has his own get better concoction. He clearly does and it works for him. And honestly, the next day he's like, boom, I'm good. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to mention about like the broths is um, I find when people are sick, they tend not to like to prepare those things. Mm-hmm. So it's a great idea to have like some of that prepared, especially during cold and flu season and just yeah. have it in the freezer ready to go. Yeah. And most of these you can like the broths, you can always freeze and pull out portion it, and it's easy to just plop into a pan and heat it up mm-hmm. I will leave the kanji recipe on my site and I will give you guys like different options to add into your um, kanji depending on how you feel and why I add those things I know the kanji is a very common dish in Asian cultures and I don't know what do you guys tend to eat when you aren't feeling well you know yeah like do you have any concoctions like Jazul's brother how about you do you have anything um I love the bone broth for me Mm -hmm. it's like bone broth and I put tons of garlic and onions in it Mm -hmm. um and that's like that's my go-to 
when I'm when I'm feeling sick. Mm. Yum yum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about yeah. you? Well, it's usually like either the chicken noodle, the ramen, or the congee. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, like those mm-hmm. are usually what I kind of like crave. But if I start feeling like I want to eat for some reason, I always go towards um, mole or curry. I don't get it, but my body automatically is like, I want those two things. Oh, interesting. Mm. I mean, the curry we were talking about last time has a lot of ginger, turmeric, and spices that help boost your immunity. Mm-hmm. So maybe the spices is what my body's like, give me that so that I can manage better. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm. I mean, there's always the teas, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, before we kind of get into the teas, I I kind of mentioned how I put onion and garlic Mm -hmm. in soup. So um, those are actually antimicrobial as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, but what's important about them is that the antimicrobial effect kind of gets lost a little bit when you cook them. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do sometimes is like have like add raw garlic to something. It, it can be hard to stomach mm-hmm. uh, raw garlic and onion, but even just like the act of chopping it, I feel like kind of, it just kind of makes me feel better what, mm-hmm. whether it's, it's um, effective or placebo, it just like chopping it and smelling it and like, Having the eye-watering effect just kind of mm-hmm. makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Question. Mm-hmm. Does the effect also diminish if it's pickled? Oh, that's a good question. Huh. I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Because, I mean, like, if it's diminished when it's cooked, is it also diminished, like, like if it's in the soup, kind of like when um, you boil broccoli and the vitamin, like, oh, I forgot what vitamin, I think it's vitamin C leaks into the water and then people just eat the broccoli and then they throw away the water, but then the vitamin stays in the water. So if you used it in a broth, the vitamin would be there and then you eat it and still has effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's a little bit different in the sense mm-hmm. that, um, so the compound especially in garlic. So in garlic, the main like antiviral, antimicrobial component is um, this kind of compound called allicin. Mm -hmm. And allicin gets produced actually when you cut garlic, Mm -hmm. there's an enzyme and a compound that kind of come together and form the allicin. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why like you don't really get it until you cut the garlic. But then the thing is, when you heat garlic, the, you, you kill off the enzyme, so you can't mm. actually produce any of the allicin. So I know hmm. heat would kind of get rid of the allicin and, and kind of reduce that effect a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm not sure if pickling and like, like I'm wondering if you like cut up the garlic and then put it in vinegar, I'm not sure how stable the allicin would stay in there and how long it would last or like what the what the antimicrobial components of that would be. 
definitely something to look into. And if any of our listeners know the answer to that question, we hey, love let us know. Hear it. Yeah. Um, hmm. yeah. I do remember at school, there was this one lady, she did a project. I think it was about heart health. I'm not 100% sure, but she brought like a little baby garlic and mm-hmm. she let everybody have it. So it's the size of a pearl. And it's almost clear looking, but she said that it like came from somewhere in Asia. I don't remember. There were a lot of presentations. I don't remember all of them. But she said that if you eat it, you eat it raw and it helps your heart and helps a bunch of things. So I don't know if it has something similar to that. And I do remember it didn't taste as strong as regular garlic. So is it different between different types of garlic? Yeah, I could imagine that there would be different components based on on what type of garlic you have. Um, hmm. I'm really curious. Yeah. Yeah, garlic is just like such a fascinating plant. It's like, it's one of my favorites because it's just like, it's so, it grows so easily and it, and it seems so like simple, but it's like has so much like, different flavor based on how you prepare it and like different healing components garlic and ginger are, are really up there on my favorite same spices. i mean it's in all my dishes yeah exactly yeah you might so, have to make like a, a podcast episode for just like our favorite spices and garlic and ginger are gonna be like the main yes yeah that would definitely be a good idea i could I think we can both talk about spices forever. Um, <laughs> yeah, let us know if you'd be interested in hearing more more about spices and also like what spices you guys use and mm-hmm. what's traditional in your family and like what are your go-tos. For sure. And, yeah. So before we actually talk about the teas and tinctures, I just want to remind everybody that sugar is not yeah. good during this time. We mentioned it before, sugar does decrease the neutrophils activity for five hours so just be cautious of when you're sick to try to avoid anything with high sugars yeah including it adding it to your tea (laughs) exactly yeah um although i like i guess that's especially true if you have a bacterial infection but also like what do you think about adding honey and like maple syrup to to tea when you're sick um Usually we do use honey, but that's because honey is more antibacterial. Mm-hmm. Although it helps my kombucha grow better. I used to do kombucha when it was a thing at our school, but like I stopped. But my kombucha grew more and I was like, isn't kombucha bacteria? I don't really know. But yeah, like we usually, when we're sick, we'll use honey. My mom used to do this recipe where she would grab radishes, she would cut it up, put them in mm-hmm. honey and some... um lime and she would just heat it up so you could drink the syrup and it would calm the cough mm-hmm. yeah because I'm thinking too like honey is something especially for coughs mm-hmm. and even like honey with like you said radishes or I I really like combining honey with elderberry mm. that's really great for viral infections especially if there's a cough I think there was another one too. Uh, I was like honey with lemons and walnuts. Ooh, interesting. 
Yeah, and she would just put them in a jar and let it sit, and then afterwards you could drink the liquid. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Honey and lemons, yes, but not the walnuts. I have no idea why the walnuts are there, but that's how she got the recipe, so. Hmm. Yeah, so I feel like the important take-home there is, like, avoiding processed sugar. or like. Yeah. I mean, maple syrup has minerals, so I don't think it would be that big of a deal. But it's just the quantity of the sugar that you're taking and obviously avoiding the processed ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because then the processed ones lead to like a whole bunch of other inflammation and we're already having immune inflammation. Not only mm-hmm. are you like maybe reducing the effectiveness of immune components, but now you're also like overall just making yourself kind of feel worse. Ooh, I just thought up another one. So I use this for the filling of one of my candies, like the chocolate ones. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, so you use coconut sugar, but you can switch it up to maple syrup or other things. It's kind of like a candied ginger. Ooh. So you slice the ginger really thinly and you let it like cook in the sugar. So I know like we're saying about sugar, but like you can have candied ginger into your ginger tea. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, even if you used honey for that, that would be amazing. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how it would. I'm guessing you probably use like the dried sugar. Um, yes, I use the dried coconut sugar, which you add a little bit of water to make more of a syrup. Okay. So it is kind of like, so it would sort of work with honey to make candy it would. ginger. I usually don't like eating honey too much because I've heard that it denatures the properties of honey and it turns like, you know, instead of being beneficial, it's terrible. So like I don't bake with it. I don't really cook. So if like when we do the radishes, we try to keep it at a low heat. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Cool. But yeah, I love, I love candied ginger. I'll even like buy the, I don't know if you've heard of like the chimes, little ginger chews. I have seen them in stores. I haven't tried it. I think the ones I usually buy are the ginger people. Okay. Okay, I haven't tried those ones. We're going to have to trade ones. This whole thing's over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, ginger is just so great. And yeah, that's actually the first tea that I'm planning on talking about, of course. I have it on my list, too. <laughs> Yeah, so I think we've probably, probably said, I don't think you could ever say enough about ginger, but I think for now we've probably talked about it a fair amount. Um, But even like, it could be as simple as just like cutting up ginger and putting it in hot water and that can be your tea, adding a lemon. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you had brought up golden milk. Yes. Which... Yeah, I'll kind of let you talk about that because that's another really amazing one. Well, golden milk has been used in Ayurvedic medicine for a really long time, right? So it's got a lot of ginger and turmeric. So again, it's the whole antibiotic, antiviral. It helps, you know, with the fever and it helps um, inflammation. It has all these great properties. Obviously, if you're going to use it, avoid lactose when you're sick. So make it a plant-based milk to make you feel better and I don't know how you do it because you have a recipe that we're going to share but what I do sometimes is I just chuck in the ginger and the turmeric and 
throw it in the blender and just let it go. It is fibrous, but then I just, you know, use a colander to kind of filter thing, a sip. And um, some people do add honey to it to give mm -hmm. it a sweetness because I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in my recipe, I believe there is honey in it. Um, honey or maple syrup. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also find if you add like a little bit of vanilla extract, that kind mm. of helps with sweetness as well. And then mm. it's, um, it's not, you're kind of not adding sugar to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I found it also depends on the uh, milk you use. Yes, that's true. Because some milks, like coconut milk, would be sweeter than, say, almond milk. Oat milk also has a nice um, sweetness to it. Mm, yeah, that would. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then um, you had mentioned not using like a lactose milk, but like really, even like I find sometimes when I when I tell people to avoid dairy, they'll buy like the lactose-free dairy, mm -hmm. which is great if you kind of don't have an issue with dairy. It's just like the if your issue is specifically with the lactose, but dairy also has like other proteins in it that mm -hmm. can be inflammatory and especially when you're sick. So avoiding like the, the lactose-free dairy as well. And like you said, sticking to plant-based um, dairy. Well, I guess it's not really dairy, but like plant-based milks. And they're not that hard to make if you don't want to go buy some. I can also link you guys to how I make some of my nuts or oat milks. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because it, it would seem like they're, like I, I feel like I, in the past, haven't even like thought of like making my own. But it's actually so simple. It is. And honestly, it tastes better than the store-bought like oat milk. Or the um, almond milk, it has a nicer taste to it. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to worry about a lot of the additives that they sometimes mm -hmm. sneak into those um, almond milk or coconut milk or whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, let me know if you guys wanna want me to share that recipe. I will gladly do it. Just let me know, okay? Um, are there any other teas you usually do or your family uses when you guys are sick? Um, it, it usually depends on like what we're sick with. Mm -hmm. uh, I find when I get sick personally, it's like that, um, it'll start as a cold and then right away it goes to my chest. Mm -hmm. Um, so I tend to use more teas for like respiratory support when Makes I sense. have, yeah, when I have any like colder flu symptoms so mm -hmm. one that I really like for respiratory support is mullein mm -hmm. and um, it it grows like everywhere in Ontario like it's like a lot of people consider it a weed um, but it's actually so useful and it it helps with with kind of supporting the lungs and especially when you're sick Mm -hmm. so that's one that I like usually I'll mix it with like say ginger or like something that kind of has a nicer taste because it doesn't taste the greatest mm -hmm. um, but yeah 
really I find any kind of hot liquid when you're not feeling well helps mm-hmm. so like any teas that you kind of have around the house are good things to to be drinking while you're sick yeah for sure I was gonna say usually like a healthy teas don't taste as good as you know other teas yeah yeah well it always it depends on because there's like I don't know I think ginger tastes good some might not agree with me but <laughs> like <laughs> ginger for me I'm like that tastes good or like peppermint I feel like most people like the taste of peppermint mm-hmm. or chamomile yes chamomile. I mean I've heard that once you know hit or miss yeah yeah but for the most part I feel like it tends to be like one of those comfort things that people go mm-hmm. to yeah and then I really like I like using lemon balm to make things taste better too oh I love lemon balm mm-hmm. and it's such a calming herb too Mm-hmm. I grow it in my garden every year. Yeah, me too. Catnip's another one that I'll that I'll use that people aren't as familiar with. Huh. Yeah, I, I would not have thought of using that. I usually have echinacea tea in the house. Yes, yeah, that's another great one. Yeah. So it's usually echinacea, ginger, chamomile, and cinnamon that are like our to go tos. Cinnamon is great in a tea too. Like that tastes, it tastes good and it has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties. Cinnamon balances great. blood sugar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the way my mom does it is probably not the best because <laughs> um, the way she does it is usually at night to help us go to sleep. So she would like have warm cinnamon tea, pours it in the blender, add a bit of like non-dairy milk. Um, and then she would add a little bit of alcohol. <laughs> and then okay. she just blends it so it foams. Then we would drink it and she would put us to bed. And so that way the alcohol would warm us up and keep us all nice and warm while we were like having a fever or the chills. And it will help. I don't know, if, again, if it's a placebo thing or if there's actually more to it that help us feel better the next day. Mm. Oh, that's I mean, it could have been the boost too, but... Uh, yeah. Oh, I love hearing like these traditional things because like you think about it and it's like she probably got that from her mom who got it from her mom. And like if these things stick around for so long, there must be like some some merit to them, right? Mm-hmm. Any of you guys ever tried any of this, like the golden milk, um, any of the teas Felicia has talked about, any of the teas that I mentioned, do they help you or yeah. is it just like meh? Yeah, yeah, we'd love to hear about them. I know we're both all for them and find them helpful, but, like, you guys also find them helpful. Mm. And then you had talked before about colloidal silver, which is something that I've heard about people using when they're sick. Mm -hmm. And silver does have antimicrobial properties. Personally, I've never used it, and I don't use it in practice just because with the research like the safety on that is questionable because it's basically hmm. like silver like actual silver particles suspended in a liquid yep um which yeah it like it's it's one of those kind of controversial things and doesn't quite have the safety to support it at the moment but i've heard people swear by it so i mean i do use it I don't use it like every single day because obviously silver and I'm like, there's a lot of 
metals that I would be putting in my body. I could, you know, toxicity and all that. But if it's like, oh, they started coughing, this other person started getting sick, I want to prevent it, I usually do it. So it would be like for maybe two or three days, and I don't fully follow the the thing because I think it says on the bottle to do it twice a day or something. I do it maybe once a day. And you okay. put a couple of drops. Um, I think it's droplet. The whole the droplet, you do two of them, I think, under your tongue. And you let it sit there. It literally tastes like water, but it has that slight metallic taste to it. Some people can't taste the metallic t- flavor in it. I, I do. But it's yeah. really, really mild. And you just leave it under your tongue for a little bit. And then it's all good. So... I don't know if maybe it's killing off whatever bacteria might be in your like mouth or throat area that could prevent from getting sick. Because mm. I know that's another thing that we do is um, you put vinegar and salt and a little bit of water and then you kind of wash your mouth and like you know, gargle and stuff. And then we don't get sick as well. But that's also playing around with the pH and the salt being um, antibacterial kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus oil of oregano, which I find is a little strong on my mouth. And I feel it burning on the way down. It's true. It's true. Oil of oregano is I there's actually some research to show its effectiveness and it is quite effective, but it's hard to it's hard to take because yeah, there's it's strong. Mm-hmm. I mean I use oregano in the salad dressings I make, I use it to cook and stuff. So I'm like, the antibiotic part of it and the antifungal is probably still there. I don't know if it's kind of like the garlic when you heat it up, the properties disappear. I didn't see anything like that when I was researching it a bit, but um, it's always in my dishes. So I'm hoping that at least by eating it, it's doing something and I can avoid mm-hmm. the oil. I will take it if I have to, but it ain't my favorite thing to drink. <laughs> That one actually tends to be my go-to for prevention. Like if I'm, if I'm feeling like a scratchy throat or I've been around someone who's been sick, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. oregano oil. Um, I've gotten used to the taste. I've also like done the chewed a full clove, like clove of raw garlic before, which is, I would not recommend that mm. um, for like taste wise. It's so, it's like, Oregano oil times like at least five. It, really? Because I'm like as this close to choose, chewing the garlic versus taking the oregano oil. Oh, okay. You should try it and let me know how it goes. I probably uh, will. I'll try it tonight. It's yeah. I've I've done it before as like like as I'm starting to get sick, mm-hmm. and for me it works. Like I'm like, oh wow, I feel. Like, usually by the next day, I'm feeling better. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it could it could even just be a strong placebo because I'm like, if I'm going through this much pain, it has to be working. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the oregano. So the oregano for me is like a little bit more mild than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll usually dilute it in water and just kind of like squig it back. Ah, uh, see, we don't dilute it. I thought you weren't supposed to dilute it. Ah, no, that's why it's so strong. Um, yeah. Usually I'll put like, if I'm 
using it as prevention, I'll usually do like five drops in like half a cup of water. Oh, that sounds so much nicer. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot more doable if you're diluting it. Yeah, no, I guess that's the legit five drops in my mouth done. Okay, yeah, that would be strong. And then it kind of lingers too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it would be effective for like getting whatever's in your mouth out because it's there for a while. But yep. when you dilute it, like you still feel a bit of the burn as it goes down. Mm -hmm. But it's it's definitely not as bad as doing it direct because I've I've been lazy before and just directly put it in my mouth and yeah, it lingers. Oh God, it, it burns and it lingers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if our listeners have done it your way where you dilute it or they've done it my way where it's like, oh, God, why am I tormenting myself? <laughs> or maybe they like it. I don't know. You guys have to let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know about your experiences with oregano oil or raw garlic if you've tried that. Yes. But one thing I do want to mention, because it is an antibiotic, um, I usually take a probiotic, not right away, obviously, but like, maybe 15 minutes later I usually take a probiotic because I know it also kills your gut flora so I want to make sure that I still get the good bacteria in my gut mm -hmm. yeah and that's a good point especially if you've been taking oregano oil for like say you you've been sick for a week and you've been taking it um, for about a week then mm -hmm. you definitely want to make sure that you're kind of replenishing um, because of its antimicrobial component, for sure. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I know you talked about, and we kind of talked about last time as prevention, is the deep immune tincture. Mm -hmm. So um, that's by St. Francis Herbal Farm. So they make they make a lot of really good tinctures. I really like them. Mm -hmm. um, but the deep immune one, I find, is really good for prevention. But I usually don't recommend it when you're actively sick, uh, mm -hmm. just because it does have astragalus in it, which is good for supporting your immune system when you're not sick, but it can actually have the opposite effect when you are sick. So just kind of being careful to take that as that's more of something you want to do regularly. So it's like, say, you know, you always get sick in the winter. So maybe in the fall, start taking deep immune to prevent getting sick in the winter sort of thing, mm -hmm. as opposed to um, I'm feeling sick. So I'm going to kind of start taking deep immune. There are other tinctures that you can kind of use for um, when you're actually sick that St. Francis makes. One that I really like, especially for people who like me kind of like have that um, kind of goes straight to the chest sort of thing. Mm -hmm. They make one called Respire Effect. And that one I find is like amazing for if you're kind of getting sick. Um, mm -hmm. You just take a few drops of that until you're kind of on the mend. Hmm. I have not heard of those ones. I mean, I guess I always went for like the deep immune because it just, the wording in itself was like, ooh, this is the one I need, right? Yeah, totally. And I think that's what, that's what a lot of people kind of think of. And um, there was a little bit of research that showed 
the astragalus. And also if you're on astragalus for too long, it can kind of put a damper on the immune system. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but it is really good at like supporting your immune system preventatively. Also like, um, I don't know about regular cheese because I know that uh, our herbalist instructor at the school, she used to bring in a pot of tea depending on the time of year she was teaching and she would use it. So when we had it, it was for the flu season. Mm-hmm. It tasted weird. I don't know what it had, but it was pretty good. It was really dark liquid. But my one friend, when she went to Germany, she brought back these like teas and she gave me a bunch because she fell in love with this brand. It's called Das Gesund. So it's like the health. Um, mm. And so they have like these little packages of teas for cough, fever. Um, oh my God, I'm trying to translate right now in my head. This is not helping. So it's like fever and cold. And then they have another one for different illnesses. So they have it divided like that. And they also had those, um, the tablets that you pop into your water. Mm. That like they fizz and it's like the vitamin C, usually the ones we can find around here. Okay. So they had one for vitamin C. They had it for different vitamins, which to me was a little weird because not all vitamins are water soluble, but whatever. And then they had like the multi and they had specific ones for other like to boost your immunity. Right. So I don't know. I have not seen Daskasun in like nature emporium or um, organic garage or whole foods. But I wonder if there's something similar like that, or have you heard of any of those? Mm, That's interesting because I actually, so I don't know if you've ever used N-acetylcysteine, but it's, it's basically a compound that your body produces naturally, but it, it helps with, um, like when people kind of take it, it helps mm-hmm. with kind of clearing congestion in the lungs, either if you have like sort of a lung infection or usually it's used for um, things like asthma, mm-hmm. uh, just because it kind of helps sort of thin the mucus so it's easier to clear things out. And it's also an antioxidant and has a whole bunch of other other benefits. But the reason I bring it up is because they used to, there used to be this product uh, that I got that was like tablets like that of NAC mm-hmm. and you kind of just dissolve it in water the same way, but I haven't been able to find them lately. So I'm like, hmm, maybe this company makes those too. Maybe. I don't know. We would have to figure it out. I mean, I'm, I think I saw them at Denninger's once, like not the NAC, but this brand. So maybe next time when, you know, we can go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> we can check out Denninger's and see if they have an NAC version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting. And you said it's Daska Sun? Daska Sun. Um, I can text it to you. So Das, D-A-S, and Daska Sun, which means help. And I can't really spell that word off the top of my head. It's like G-U-S-E-D, I think. My German friend's going to laugh at me when she hears it, but yeah. I think it's something like that. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's that sounds like a great idea because I find, especially for like the water soluble vitamins, I could see that being being helpful because sometimes sometimes people don't like taking capsules, can't swallow mm-hmm. a capsule, and then when you can like dissolve it in water, it kind of makes it 
fun and it's like a fun little fizzy drink. Especially for kids. It's yeah. either the gummies or the fizzy drink. So I wanted to touch up on something else because we were talking about herbs and stuff. So usually when we get sick, um, my mom, you know, puts us kind of in isolation in our room. And she has this little like nightlight where you can put like essential oils at the top. And she usually puts like essential oils that are antibacterial or what we, um, I'll talk about this little product, but we used to get a little spray from Switzerland and it's supposed to help with that. So she tries to find the equivalent in the essential oils, put it in it so that the room supposedly clears out. And I know that when we were younger, and I know some people still do it, is they would put like an onion in the room. Yes. Yeah. So I, it was funny because my sister was sick a while ago and I was like, and she's like, I don't have anything on me. I don't feel like going to the store. I'm like, do you have an onion? Just like cut it up and put it beside your bed. Cause mm-hmm. I've heard that too. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to the organosulfur components that come from the garlic and the onions. I mean, I don't think there's any research around it none that i'm familiar with of how i don't know any either yeah so but like again i'm like there's no harm in it right like cutting up an onion and putting it beside your bed no there's really no harm in it and like you were saying like when you were cutting the onion or the garlic you yourself felt like that was enough sometimes yeah yeah totally so it could be like that i know that for the little nightlight it has like eucalyptus sometimes she has tea tree i forget the other ones but like she adds a few into it so that not only does the room smell nice but it's supposed to be like antibacterial and the mm-hmm. spray i will look it up because i love the spray if anybody knows where i can find it please i ugh, i love the smell and it's really good it's supposed to be like you put it in the room on your bed or whatever to kind of disinfect but also promote healing interesting when my brother's um, girlfriend came over from Switzerland, I was like, please, if you can find this, bring me a whole box. I will pay you. She couldn't <laughs> find it. So I don't know where else people can find it. And I have only a little bit. And I'm like, this is sacred. Do not use it unless you need to. Mm, yeah, it's always it's always so much fun to like get healing products from other countries. But yeah, then when you run out, it's like, how do I get this? And sometimes they're available online, but sometimes they're not. Exactly. And you're just like, no, this is like my life. Mm -hmm. One of my favorites is um, the Pascoite. So I don't know the English word for it, but it's a Native American uh, tree. And they use the bark and they put it into like a paste or into a cream. And it helps healing of like cuts and wounds. So like if you have a burn, you have a cut, no scarring. Oh, it's great like even a sunburn like anything skin related it boom it's gone oh i need to know the name of this tree i will i will send it to you that's awesome yeah i my sister went to thailand a few a few years ago and she brought back this she just called it green bomb she said that's what they were calling it and like all the writing and everything was not in a language i could understand mm-hmm but it had like a menthol kind of smell to it. And it was like a chest rub for when you're sick. Mm. Um, and it was like super effective. And I like, 
um, I remember at the time, like, she had brought it back. And then like, a few months later, I was sick and went right to my chest. And I'm like, rubbing it on my chest. I'm like, this is really good. I'm like, how do I get more of this? It was like this tiny little bottle. And she's like, uh, maybe I guess if you go to Thailand. <laughs> well, that's not that's not gonna happen anytime soon. And like, I, I can deduce like some of the things that are in it just by smell. But yeah. I'm like, oh, what's in it? But you mentioned the chest rub. I was telling you, I think before we even did the first episode that one of our uh, holistic practitioners when we were younger, because we used to get a lot sick, like when we were sick, it would go straight to our chest, like you were saying. It was mm-hmm. the onions. And I believe we cooked them in like vapor rub, or at least it was onion and vapor rub, and then you would put it on your chest. Oh, interesting. Oh, that must have smelled interesting. Oh God, the flashbacks. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's weird. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's something similar where it has like the vapor rub. I don't know what the um the smelling, what the smell of plant it's from, but it can be like the essential oils my mom uses. It could be similar to what's in the green rub. I think is what you called it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few. There's a few herbs that have like that sort of mental kind of cooling but warming sort of Mm -hmm. effect at the same time so I'm guessing there's just probably some combination of those those things yeah any of you guys know what we're talking about please let us know yeah have you guys ever seen your parents or do you put an onion near the bed yeah let us know all of your all of your traditions tips and and healing healing quirks yeah I mean I know my mom never let us watch tv when we were sick she would always be like if you have enough energy to watch tv you're not sick enough you can go back to school (laughs) oh that's amazing right but on the other side I'm like well she is being right because like your eyes need to relax and sometimes tv does or screens hurt your head and your eyes right yeah and also like as a kid that would give you the incentive to be like okay I'm gonna rest and Make myself better so that I can go back to back to life. It's like, which one do you prefer, being in school or being stuck in your bed and not being able to do anything? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I bet there was definitely no faking sick in your house. It was hard to fake sick. It's legit. She would come into the room, check you. If you were doing anything else, like, go back to bed or you're going to school. I'm like, no! <laughs> huh. um, yeah. We didn't really watch TV too much when we were sick either, but my mom wasn't as strict about it. Um, but yeah, how about you guys? What what sorts of things did did look get, did getting sick look like for you as a kid? And like, if you're a parent, do you let your kids watch TV or or have them rest? What do you guys do? Yeah, and then the other thing we wanted to talk about was fevers. Mm-hmm. So. That's an interesting topic because I feel like a lot of people get scared around fever. Mm-hmm. Um, body temperature starts to rise and and I find people don't really know kind of how high is too high and like when is it an emergency and especially when it comes to kids. Yes. Um, 
So as adults, we're like, eh, it's okay. They'll get better. They can manage. But when it's a kid, it's just automatic. Oh my God, what do I do? Panic. Yeah, exactly. And I think with like all of the kind of fever reducers and anti-inflammatories around, people kind of go to those right away without actually mm-hmm. like thinking about the purpose of a fever and that it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. So mm-hmm. a fever is your body's way of fighting fighting something off. Like it it basically brings your body up to a temperature where whatever invading organism, whether it be bacteria or virus, is less likely to survive. So it's like your body's your body's way of fighting this thing off. So if you kind of bring down that fever you're you're kind of letting whatever the organism is spread mm-hmm. uh, more easily than it would if your body was at a higher temperature mm-hmm. uh, so yeah letting letting the fever happen in terms of like how high is too high so generally in like infants and young kids once it starts to get above 38 degrees celsius that's kind of um, that's kind of the point where you want to start cooling things down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in adults, it's more if it starts going above 40, that's where you want to start cooling things down. Um, normal temperature is around 36 to 37 degrees. So anything above that would be considered a fever. Mm-hmm. Kind of taking temperature to, to know where that's at. Oral thermometers are usually the most effective. I don't know how you used to do it as a kid. I remember we did it like under the arm. Yeah, I think we did the under the arm. And I think my mom had one of those at one point where you put in your ear. Ah, yes. Yeah, so the ear one is less accurate than the oral one. But I find with kids, like sometimes you're just not going to get a temperature orally. Mm -hmm. So it's just easier to use the ear thermometer and quickly kind of take a temperature that way. Hmm. I know that now they have like those little stickers. I haven't used them. I'm not curious about them, but honestly, I'm not a kid, so I don't know if it would be effective. Um, they, they're like little stickers that you put on your the kid's forehead and it t- tells you like the temperature. So I think on one sticker it has like three different things. So like the okay, too low or too high kind of thing. Mm. I'm not 100% sure if anybody's used them or if anybody else has seen this. Let me know. But I have seen them at shoppers. So I don't know how effective that would be. Yeah. I'm thinking like on the forehead, probably not the most effective. But I haven't seen them or used them. So yeah, I would be curious to know, know from people who how that worked. And I have a question. I know that most people usually check people's temperature with um, inner part of their wrist, but I've also heard about a kiss on, on like the forehead. Like how, obviously not as accurate as a thermometer, but if you don't have anything accessible, is that like accurate-ish? Ah, yeah. So if you don't have a thermometer, yeah, that would be that would be a good way to check. Your lips are actually have like a high amount of innervation. So there's a lot of nerve endings in your lips. Mm -hmm. So that would be a very sensitive skin area to tell temperature. And then 
the inside of your wrist is also something that that does have a lot of nerve endings as well more probably more so well your hands have they have but like well too but i find that like the hand some people's hands are just really really warm and other people's hands are just really cold yeah in terms of circulation it, mm-hmm. it can vary and um, it can fluctuate within a day like i know my hands can be extremely warm and then like the next five minutes my hands are freezing and i'm like well i didn't do anything Hmm. yeah exactly whereas the wrist kind of tends to stay a more a more stable temperature same with the lips Hmm. yeah so yeah those those are totally like if you don't have a thermometer available or your kids just really being a pain yeah kind of like a quick a quick check um mm-hmm. i find that could especially for like a more anxious parent that could be kind of less because it's less i guess concrete it could be harder to to deter like is this too high is it like where where on the scale um and like should i be bringing it down should i be supporting it kind of thing i agree Um, but also feel like sometimes when you see the numbers people panic so if you touch the kid's forehead you're like, oh, they're about my temperature. It's not, it's not terrible. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective too. Because yeah. I know that like way back when, before I went into like the whole kin thing, I'd be like, oh my God, it's at 30 something. And I did learn about temperature in high school and stuff, but just the numbers, I would be like, oh my God, it's so high. Thinking, mm-hmm. you know, the room's usually around like 20 something. So we should be around there. Or, you know? Oh, I see. Yeah. So, like, if you're used to, like, room temperature and you take the temperature and it's, like, might be 37, which is normal, and you're, like, oh, my gosh, that's high if you don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And then also looking at other symptoms, too. So, like, did you or your kid get hot really fast? Because then that might be more concerning. Mm-hmm. Or... Are they kind of really drowsy or like like paying attention to those things as well? And also like if our, I mean, mind you, it's probably a little bit taxed right now, but our health system in Canada is really great. So even if like you are concerned, just kind of giving telehealth a call and, and letting them know and they can kind of walk you through it too, instead of just kind of being concerned and, and not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and family doctors and naturopathic doctors are all great resources too to kind of to kind of get a gauge of of what's concerning versus what's just kind of like a normal fever to support sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So hydrotherapy is something I I use quite a bit too. You had mm-hmm. talked about a cool hydrotherapy patch or something like that. Yeah. So like I know that we usually. Like, I've never used these patches. I know my sister said she used them when she was in Japan. But I have seen them same side-by-side side by those stickers. So they're usually the Mickey Mouse or Disney-like designs. And there's these, like, cooling patches that kids put on their forehead. So it would be the equivalent of having, like, a white cloth on your forehead or on your stomach to kind of bring the temperature down. Yeah, and that's that's a great option. And another one that I 
um, was didn't really think about, but had come up was putting a cooling, like a cooling cloth or patch on your chest, like over your heart, because mm-hmm. your heart's kind of pumping blood throughout your body, right? So if you kind of cool things down there, it's going to kind of get that kind of going throughout your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, I think that's probably the same kind of theory behind putting cooling stuff on like your wrists or like the pulse point sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I know some people put it on their, their armpit, which again, um, that's also another place where there's a lot of heat. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but like when we say cooling, at least in my household, even when like the person's sick and they have to go into the shower, we try to keep it as like as long as they can tolerate it. Sometimes it's really just lukewarm water or warmish water, but the person is, you know, they feel like it's really cold for them. So we keep it at that temperature versus actually grabbing cold water and placing it in the cloth and putting it on the forehead kind of thing. Yeah, totally. That's such a good point because, yeah, remembering that their body's already at a higher temperature. So something that might feel warm to you might very easily feel cool to them. Yeah, Because I know that um, this happened to me once. Like I, I was having a fever, but at the same time, I was freezing. So it was a weird the parents were like, what the heck do I do? She's freezing, but she's running a high fever. So they were like putting me in the shower and mm-hmm. the water was boiling. But to me, it was still cold. Mm-hmm. So you have to like really be conscious of what the person is feeling depending on their temperature. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you guys ever use this, but like um, when you're running a fever and it's like late at night, my mom would grab some alcohol, rub it in between her hands, rub our feet, and then put on like fuzzy warm socks and then just tuck you in with a bunch of blankets. Ah, yes. That's like kind of, have you heard of warming socks? Yes. With like the water? No, I have heard of the other ones where you buy like the little, um, Little packages that you like break and then you put it on the sock. Okay. Oh, interesting. I haven't heard of those. Um, but your your example with your mom and the alcohol and then putting a warm fuzzy sock on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a really great thing that I use, especially with kids and especially if there's like congestion as well with with the fever, is warming socks so it just kind of you have to kind of gauge where the fever is at and um how tolerant the person is to it but i use this especially for colds um especially if there is no fever um where i'll take a a pair of cold wet cotton socks Mm -hmm. put them on your feet and then um on top of that, put a pair of dry, warm wool socks mm-hmm. and go to bed. And then the next morning, people, like without fail, every every person that I suggested this to that has tried it has been like, oh my gosh, I felt so much better the next morning and I got the most amazing sleep. Hmm, interesting. So, yeah, so 
your it sounds like your mom was doing like kind of a version of that except maybe with alcohol instead of water maybe i mean my dad's always said that the um when you're feeling like the temperature is always like your feet you have to make sure your feet are warm or something like that so maybe it's kind of a bit of both yeah yeah so i find with like the cold like as soon as the cold socks go on they're warm within like within like a minute and then by the morning they're totally dry i mean water is evaporating and bringing down the fever right mm-hmm. hmm. interesting but like again um I think we forgot to mention this, but staying hydrated during this whole process. Yes. Oh my gosh. The basics. The basics. Um, Electrolyte rich drinks can also help. So not always, I know with kids, it's easier to get them to drink if it's like Gatorade or Powerade because of the sugar, which we talked about is not the best, but um, there are some electrolyte drinks now that don't have sugar. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to recognize too that glucose is kind of part of an electrolyte drink so mm-hmm. most of the so in that aspect there is sugar but again it's not like the the refined the refined sugar yeah and um that's yeah that's kind of sometimes i'll make my own electrolyte drink and add either honey or maple syrup as the for the glucose Sweetener. factor um but yeah definitely important to to stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. And as for congestion, do you have like any suggestion for people who are comes to blow in their nose and their noses get all like scraped up? Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, in terms of like the congestion part, warming socks for sure, um, and mm-hmm. eucalyptus steam inhalations are really helpful. Um, as in terms of like the skin around the nose and and feeling for that. Uh, even just like coconut oil or olive oil um, if you want to kind of keep it really simple mm-hmm. kind of acts as like a nice barrier for the skin um, would, would you be okay if it was like coconut oil and a bit of eucalyptus do you think that matching like both of them would do the same thing um that would be effective so the eucalyptus essential oil can mm-hmm. actually be quite drying so you want to be careful because if you have like raw skin around the mm-hmm. nose, that could end up being painful and making it a little bit worse. Um, but it would be really good for helping clear the congestion, like just the smell of that eucalyptus. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you do have like that raw skin, I would probably recommend doing like an olive oil or a coconut oil and then maybe diffusing the eucalyptus. But if you're or putting find, it on the little nightlight like my mom does. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if you find that like your skin is fine and, and you're not having any broken skin or dry skin, um, then putting like a couple drops of eucalyptus, like diluting it in, in an oil, like coconut oil, and mm-hmm. putting it under the nose can be helpful too. Okay. Yeah, wow. We covered we covered quite a bit today. Yes, we did. <laughs> um, yeah, so we kind of just as like a little summary. So we started with sleep, which is sleep is one of the basics. Um, we mentioned we mentioned some other basics like staying hydrated, lots of fluids, nutrient rich foods. 
Yeah, we talked about teas. May Home have remedies. Been, yes. May have been an overemphasis on ginger and garlic. That's okay. We just need a shirt that says, I love ginger and garlic. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we talked about a fever and why that's important. We talked a little bit about when to go to your healthcare provider. Basically, if you're concerned, kind of give them a call. And yeah, that's what we went through, I think. And let us know, you guys, what you think. Tag us, um, letting us know what you guys do or if you tried any of the recipes. We are welcome and we are happy to see you guys trying these stuff, you know. We want to hear from you. Yeah, exactly. And we'll be back next week. I'm really excited about the topic because we're talking about the Healing Edible Garden. Um, yes. Yeah, so that'll be exciting. Um, in the meantime, you can rate, comment, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Invite your friends to join our community and improve their health. Um, and you can follow us on our social media. For me, it's at Felicia Senza ND and Sweet Nutritionista. And, and you can try the recipes, tag us again. And um, next week, we do have a guest speaker. Joining us, Alana, she does her own uh, plant body stuff, body care, and she did work for a little bit with a herbalist, so she will give us all the tidbit information about it, and Felicia, you can tell us more about wild ginger. Yes, (laughs) I would love to. Thank you for joining us. Um, See you next time, and happy healing.